This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everybody, for taking the time to join us on today. And as always, a special welcome to those of you joining us for the first time. And thanks to those of you who are answering the call. I've said it. I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over again. Folks, it's time for truth to go viral. Misinformation is running the day, and that needs to cease. And it's going to cease when we make ourselves a committee of one Uh, in each instance, to have a passion for truth, uphold truth, be hungry for truth, support truth. Uh, And when we do it, the more of us that do it, the better off we'll be, especially in in UX. No misinformation pretty much prior to 2011. Now it's everywhere, and it's a hazard. It is now a hazard to folks' careers. It's a hazard to your mental well-being, whether you realize it or not. It's a hazard to your pocketbook. I said this before, before I introduced my guest, uh, uh, that do you realize, and you find this out, depending upon who you listen to when it comes to emotional intelligence, they said that emotional intelligence people, I, I can't remember the number, so I'm, I, I'm gonna, I may get this wrong, but the message will be solid. Emotionally intelligent people make 25% more, I believe is the number, than their counterparts. Does that intrigue you? <laughs> Does that make you want to subscribe to emotional intelligence? I hope so. And I actually think I lowballed it. I think it's actually even more than that. But let's just keep that in mind today. Because when you have that emotional intelligence, you do have more of an appetite for truth. You are more more engaged in critical thinking. You're not going to be quick to believe something just because somebody said it. And just because somebody says you actually don't go running after it. Somebody on LinkedIn the other day said that, oh, there's a ton of stuff out here on YouTube that will help you grow. In UX, no, there's not. There's a ton of stuff on on YouTube that will ruin you when it comes to UX. So be careful. And the person who said that has only been doing UX for five minutes. And the people that person endorsed, three of them have only been doing UX for two minutes. So be careful. But at any rate, so I can get off my soapbox and slide the soapbox over for, for my guest who's laughing at me right now. Uh, I'm glad today that for this series, I wanted to make sure that we included thought leadership from other people who are contributors, who are who are stewards of this discipline, who, who care about this discipline, who put the discipline before themselves. That's what we need more of these days. And I'm really thankful and honored to have with me tonight, Karen Lynn, uh, the person who is more and more known for Stop UX Erasure. I don't think we're going to talk about that tonight, but I got to gotta mention that. She's got a, a post that's, uh, that she said she wrote a uh, year ago that's getting hot again on Medium. Look it up. Find it. Read it. Digest it. Embrace it. Uh, so truth can go viral. Again, we all be better off for it. But Karen, welcome to the show once again, and thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join me. Thank you so much, Darren. I really appreciate this forum to be able to speak my mind. Absolutely. Valuable stuff. Valuable stuff. And I love having people with valuable things to say. 
Uh, I had to mention this too. You just reminded me of something. You know, I get a lot of people who write me and say, hey, you know, you should have me on your show. I'm like, who are you? A, and B, why should I care? And, and I, <laughs> I mean that facetiously uh, because I'm like, no, I, I, you just popped up from behind a bush and said, I want to be on your show. No, 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 no. I, I just got another message a week ago and I just responded to the person today and I flat out told him when people ask me if they can come on my show, I say, no, I know enough people in the discipline. I need to know you. I need to know what you stand for because I'm responsible for the people I bring on the show. I'm responsible for that. And, and, and I do not take that lightly. So I'm happy to have somebody like Karen. She's going to give you some gems. So get that notepad out, whatever you got to do, uh, and let us dive in. We're going to be talking, as we have been in this series, we've been talking about jobs, job seeking, job management, team management, anything that has to do with working or seeking jobs in the world of UX, we're covering it in this series. And, and Karen is, is, I believe, my fourth guest now talking on this topic, and we've got five things that we're going to cover. We might branch off, something might happen. But we've got five things that we're going to try to touch on for you folks. So you ready, Karen? Ready to get going? No, I mean, you handed me the soapbox, so <laughs> <laughs> you've been warned, everybody. <laughs> All right, here we go. Topic number one, we want to talk about interviewing skills. Interviewing skills, not for the job seeker, folks. The interviewing skills for the people that are hiring. This is a huge issue in UX today. So, Karen, go ahead and take it away. I'm going to grab some water. Oh, yeah, sure. So the first thing that I'll say about this is why it's particularly relevant for UX professionals is because it has to do with bias and prejudice. And the reason I say that is... It's very easy, particularly when we are in a p position of relative power, yep. you know, such as being, you know, on that interview panel or being the hiring manager that's screening candidates to interview. It's, it's one thing to make an observation about someone's history, you know, whether it is in this might be one of the other topics, um, Darren, that you wanted to cover. Um, it could be their, you know, their job history, having different types of work or short term gigs or, or whatever that uh, the case might be, um, or some qualities or skill sets that don't fit perfectly for what you're looking for. Um, <clears throat> it's one thing to make these observations is another thing to judge right away. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And, and to yep. jump to conclusions and then form an opinion. And then that leading to character assassination, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's a very slippery slope to get all the way to character assass assassination. And then, you know, suddenly you're rationalizing why, you know, you don't like this person or why, you know, you don't think, you know, the team should be hiring this person. Um, and the reason why I say this is particularly relevant for UX professionals is because as UX professionals, 
we should be more aware than perhaps the general population of bias and having uh, and have more self-awareness for when we're making an observation versus this is just my opinion versus this is I'm making a judgment call here that maybe I should not be making. Yep. Um, and it's important, I think, particularly in our profession to keep, to try to keep ourselves in check, but also hold each other accountable when we see these things happen um, and, and, you know, talk about it, right. And figure out, okay, how to evaluate candidates objectively as opposed to, you know, relying just on subjective measures. Yes. yes so that's, yes. that's all, I'll, I'll stop there, um, you know, for, <laughs> for fear of <laughs> going off on my soapbox too much. No, so, um, soapboxes yeah, I mean, are welcome. Darren, what are, <laughs> yeah, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on that, Darren? And hearing you say that, you make me think about, of all the companies I've worked at, there were, I believe, only two or three that took the time that if you were if you were participating in interviews at all, you were required to take interviewing training. You these are the questions that you can ask. These are the questions you cannot ask from a legal perspective. This is how you evaluate talent. These these are things you should never do when evaluating talent. And I'm going, that was really nice of them to have taken the time to do that. Uh, in my current role, I'm a manager now. And so it's required training for managers. And, and they had a whole course that focused solely on identifying and managing bias in the interviewing process. <laughs> what a novel idea. And this is one of those companies that's on one of the top companies to work list that for one of the few times in my life, I think really deserves to be there. And that's one of the reasons why, because people are taught how to hire and then they go into the hiring process and then they execute these things. And so that's the part that comes out to me. I mean, we, we talked about before we start recording people booby traps. I mean, that's what the term I, I, you didn't say this. I did. They, people ask booby trapping questions during the interview. I've had interviews that have been sabotaged before because somebody made up their mind that they didn't want to hire me and it was demonstrating itself because I've been, I've been, my first leadership gig was in 1983. So I've been around a bit. So I just told my age again. So I know I've worked in HR before. So I, I know how these things work. And when someone asks a particular question, during the interview process, you can tell when they just, I mean, just dug a hole and put some, I'm thinking about those old Tarzan movies where they, they've got the, the, he stepped on the thing and he went through the ground and he's, he's down in a pit somewhere. You can tell when people ask these questions and, and it's really sad. As a matter of fact, I've had my interview sabotage on two or three occasions before, blatantly obvious. Uh, as a matter of fact, in one of the interviews, and I've talked about this on the show before, the person started off the interview by complaining that they were moving their UX operation from Minnesota to Detroit. The person spent the first five to 10 minutes or so of the interview complaining. And okay, now let's do the interview. I'm like, wait a minute, you just <laughs> you just used me to vent 
<laughs> and then you proceeded after that to sabotage the interview. And even after that, only sought to hire unqualified people purposely because not only did they sabotage my interview, they were trying to sabotage the UX operation moving from Minnesota. And this is a huge company that did this, by the way. <laughs> a huge, talk I will not say that. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> talk about, I mean, bad actors, right? Oh, like God. <laughs> it was terrible. So, People, they ask booby-trapping questions. They make assumptions, as you said. They they ask questions that don't really help you to evaluate. I, I had one one interview, and I really thought I wanted to go to this company, and we all feel like that during the interview process. You, and you wouldn't have applied if you, uh, you wouldn't have accepted the, the, the invitation to interview if you didn't want to go to the company. And they asked me to do a design uh, exercise, which is dumb. For those of you who did, we haven't talked about that yet. I think they're done. Oh man, I think no, we did talk about it with one person. Uh, but um, I think Justin and I talked about that. But when they had me do the design exercise, the exercise was being led by the research team. Why would it? These people don't do design; they do research, and 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 they don't know how I'm wired. They they don't know. I'm a 27 year vet. At that time that I had that interview, I was a 26-year vet. So you have no idea how I'm wired. You don't have the point of reference that I do. I may do something you can't relate to. And the thing is, it's not about how we get there. It's about what comes out at the end and whether or not it met the the needs for the, the design problem we were trying to solve in the beginning. There's 50,000 different ways to get from point A to point Z. And so... They told me what all the requirements were, and I'm, I'm thinking, Jesse James Garrett, Five Flames, I got the requirements. This is just to show you how I think. So you gave, you're the research people. You gave me all the data. Okay? So I'm good. And, and long story short, it became a total joke where there was someone who was part of the evaluation team that went down a, on a tangent and went down a completely different road that had nothing to do with what was going on in the interview. And then later they tried to, they said, well, yeah, we decided not to move forward with you. Would you like some feedback? I said, no, I don't want any feedback from your team because your team subjected me to mental abuse during the interview. So why would I want more mental abuse from your team? I'm not going to license that from you. So thanks for the opportunity. I wish you well. I, I didn't say this, but I know you're going to hire a bum, but I'm out of here. I'm glad, I'm glad that you didn't hire me. I dodged a bullet. So that's the same. <laughs> sometimes teams are so bad. You're be glad you didn't get certain jobs. There's no greater blessing sometimes than a closed door is one of my sayings. <laughs> so can I say something like one quick thing about design exercises Absolutely. as part of the interview process? Um, so I generally agree with the statement that design exercises um, are uh, unfair. <laughs> and, um, you know, at worst, right. Or at best it's exploitative. Right. And at worst, great, you know, um, it actually doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't really help the team really that's trying to evaluate. It doesn't. And the reason, <laughs> and, and, but, but I'll say this, as a hiring manager, having been a hiring manager and having had given out design exercises, mm -hmm. so I've, I've actually done this, but with a big caveat, 
right? Like I always say, spend no more than two hours tops, right? I don't want to see like a, (laughs) I don't want to see like 100 hours worth of work, right? You know, the next time we talk and then like something that is super polished end to end and is like done, right? Like I, that's not what I want to know. What I want to know is, (laughs) is what I want to know is what can you do in two hours? Yeah. Right. What would your approach be? Yes. Right. And then, you know, like what, what is the process, right? What is your planning? How do you think about it? Yes. Before you even do the work. And then even if the work is just like sketches, right? Like that's fine. Yep. Right. Like, and so, so I'll say, I'll say like, you know, most design exercises are used in an exploitative way. Um, (laughs) But there can be (laughs) ways that we incorporate design exercises in Mm -hmm. a more, ethical yes realistic way i guess i'll say yes um so so i'm not like a hunt you know i'm not a hundred percent like a no right but i'm just saying like um it should be balanced and and on the receiving end of that right uh-huh. so if you're handed a design exercise by whoever the hiring manager is or the interviewing is you should always always say and ask well, realistically, how much time would you like me to spend on this? Yep. Right. Like, what is yep. the expectation of time that I spend on this? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a perfectly legitimate question to ask. And yes. if the answer is like, oh, whatever you want, well, that should already be a flag. <laughs> Red flag. <laughs> um, and then B, you know, <laughs> you know, B, you can proceed with it. Right. But also, but give yourself a time box. Right. And then when you go to that next interview with your work, like be upfront, be honest about it and be like, look, I gave myself a time box because I don't know, whoever told me, Mm -hmm. you know, there was no time limit or didn't give me an expectation around the time limit. But I have, (laughs) you don't say this, but you say this to yourself. I have the professionalism and maturity (laughs) to give myself Mm -hmm. a time box on these assignments so then I can, you know, talk you through what my process was because that's, you know, what matters yep. more. Yep. And, um, and I, agree, matter more. I agree with you wholeheartedly. That's my, my general statement. If somebody asks me about design exercises, I'm going to, I I don't know why. I, I Maybe, I don't know. I, I can't explain why. I time box everything I say. So I give mm-hmm. this general statement. If you want the deets, come back and get them from me. And then I'll layer, right. I'll layer everything. Because I did, I had a job recently where I was a manager. And I designed a design exercise. And you said the key word, ethically. So I did it in a way where I told them how much time to spend. I let them know, I know that we can't do a lot within the time allotted. We're just trying to get an idea for how you think. And so I think that within the time that we're looking at, a half hour, I just want to, what would you think about in a half hour? I know you can't do everything. I let them know. And we're not trying to get you to come up with a final solution. But how would you, based on the time that you have, how would you, what comes to mind? What types of things come to mind? And I, and, and I found that by time boxing it and explaining it and being transparent, that when you do it that way, not only did it make it simple, and everybody who ever did the exercise had a ball with it, and and we were able to gain what we wanted. I mean, we are researchers at the time, Aren't we supposed to be able to put together research the right way? Isn't it sad that UX people 
when you're trying to evaluate people, you're actually conducting research. And a lot of UX people don't know how to conduct research uh, about their candidates. And they ask people to do something and they, they don't expect, they, it's, they're not here saying, okay, we know you can't do that much in a half hour. They want the world. You did the same project and had three weeks to come up with what you're asking me to do in 20 minutes. That's not ethical. And, and so, so I, yeah, I do agree with you that there's a way to do it. I just think that UX maturity levels are so bad on average that it's going to manifest itself in the design exercise. <laughs> and they're going to ask you to do, I, I interviewed with one company. Uh, I'm going to keep, I almost want to say the name of this company, another big company, fortune 50 fortune 50 company. They, they had nine people interviewing me and I had to do a design exercise at home the day before. And then they, one of the people fell asleep during the interview and I'm sitting there going, this is nuts. She was snoring and I'm looking at this person <laughs> snoring during the interview, found out later the person was sick, but still it, it, it that's still bad. Um, the, um, she, she's no longer with us. Oh, that person actually, but one person asked me a ridiculous question. They asked me about patterns. I've told this story before. Hey, what would you do when it comes to design patterns? They weren't talking about pattern libraries. There were no there were no uh, design systems when we had this interview. So they weren't talking about anything like that. It was, this was some years ago. But they were talking about background patterns. I'm talking GeoCities like background patterns. They want to know what would I do from a background pattern. I'm going, I'm thinking to myself in this interview, no, he did not just ask me that. And please, listeners, please don't do what I'm about to mention. I, I don't believe in in uh, burning bridges. I believe in blowing them up. <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't, because I don't trust myself because it was such a big name company that I thought if they come back to me again, I'm going to want to go back to that company. But they have shown me in this interview that I want absolutely nothing to do with this company. And so I proceeded to do my blow up the bridge routine. And uh, uh, now what I didn't expect was that these people would turn around and try to blackball me, which they did, uh, which they still do to this day. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I, I leaned back in my chair, got comfortable. You may as well give me a hammock. And, and, I, and I just was very candid with all of my answers and I didn't care what anybody thought about anything. Cause like, this is terrible and nothing's going to come out of this. So I did regret so the takeaway, doing it. Sorry. <laughs> so, so I think the, the takeaway for our listeners from this conversation is no matter uh, what level of experience or skill sets you have coming into UX or being in UX, right? Like there's always, there's always going to be companies, teams that are hiring. They don't really know. Yeah. They're not going to recognize what they don't know. They won't recognize yeah. what you do know. You know, it's, it's um, you know, between me and Darren, <laughs> right? We run into these walls all the time, and we've been in the space for a while now. Um, so it, there really is no way to avoid it. It's right. um, we have to do what we have to do to protect ourselves, but then also, you know, try to educate as we go to the best mm -hmm. of our ability or, you know, whenever the opportunity presents itself, right? So, um, you know, don't don't give up. Just got to right. 
stick to doing what you know is right and and keep trying and hopefully you know something will stick eventually yep and i would highly recommend when you when you come across bad interviews and you will when you come across bad interviews just you're going to make a mental note it becomes something you can laugh about later it'll be good for your mental health it was a bad experience turn it into something you can laugh about and and remember what you learned you're no matter how bad an interview is no matter how bad an interviewer is no matter how bad how bad an interview panel is you and i still learn something it still helps us to go forward so don't miss the opportunity to grow whether the experience is, is good or bad that's my that's my two cents on on the end of that one yeah, at the very least, you learn what not to do. Yes. <laughs> You're ever in opposition. So at the very least, you know, there's that. <laughs> Next topic, short stints. Would you, as a hiring manager, and you have some great comments on this, so I'm going to run this back for the recording. You, you're hot. You're looking to interview somebody. Nice segue from the other topic. You're looking to interview somebody. Or you're looking to fill a role. And you got the, the proverbial stack of 300 resumes, as I like to say. And you're looking and you, and you see somebody that looks like they might be a fantastic candidate, but they've got a lot of short stints. What, what should, where should the hiring manager's mind be when they come across? And it's going to happen. Because this series is for the hiring managers also, like what we just did for the people doing the interviews. Now we're talking to hiring managers. How do you address this? What, what what types of things should go through your head? How should you how should you manage and be ethical concerning this matter? Sure. So first thing is fight the urge to say, "Oh, <laughs> this person must have problems holding down a job," or you know whatever stereotypes we naturally mm. <laughs> are groomed to associate with people with short, a uh, series of short stints. Um, and then B, do a little bit of work to find out why. And, and again, you know, back to what I was saying before, I think particularly as UX professionals, I would hope we hold ourselves and each other to a higher standard when it comes to making, you know, these observations and not immediately jumping to conclusions without yes. having all the information. Yes. Um, so I, I really, I really think that that is at the core of, it should be at the core of most, if not all we do <laughs> as UX professionals, including, you know, not only in the hiring process, uh, how we engage with our colleagues, yes. our stakeholders, and you know, of of course, end users that we that we speak with, yes, um, yes. and do our research with. Um, so, and and again, um, it is very. I totally understand. It's it's very easy to fall into that trap of oh yeah, I I know what's going on here, right? Oh, I've seen this before. Like I know what this person is about, right? It's it's, like, <laughs> and and I part I partly blame. Um, uh, the, you know, like the dating apps. <laughs> to oh the my swiping. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the matching, the, the matching apps, you know, I, and I, um, I've, uh, been happily married for many, many years <laughs> before, you know, this recent crop of dating apps, but I will say actually 
I was one of the original users of like the very beta beta dating apps because oh, when I was at school in Boston, this is like 2003. <laughs> I, went, I was in school in Boston, 2003. Some students at MIT made an MIT matching app. It was literally, you know, hey, like, build, give us your name. What school you go to will randomly, you know, match you up with somebody at another school. And then you can talk to them and, you know, meet up or whatever. Wow. So, so I actually did do that. I would say that was my real only foray into online dating. Um but um, but I have tested out the apps just to see, like, because I'm curious, right? What what does the experience and interaction do in people's minds, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think part of the uh, the fallacy of these dating apps is that they don't they don't really care if you find a good match or not, mm-hmm. right? They they just want you to keep coming back, keep swiping, keep interacting, keep using more and more of your time in the app, which actually, if you think about it, has something to do with meeting the right person yep. <laughs> and getting to know the right yep. person, right? So um, there's already a conflict there. Um, but but I think my, my point is, what I've noticed about these apps is that they they tend to focus, and oh, uh, the, the other type of app that does this too, um, and I do have more direct experience with this house hunting, right? Like the, the apps that help you look for houses and then it's mm. all about the pictures, right? Like they yeah. give you the photos, you're looking at the pictures, you're getting way too emotionally involved. <laughs> you're jumping to conclusions based off of what you see. Again, like we're, yep. very, you know, we're very easily uh, visually biased, right? For those of us mm-hmm. who, um, you know, have the gift of sight and the privilege of sight, of course. Um, but, you know, but is that really the uh, disciplined way of evaluating what our options are and what our choices are and what the real candidates should be? Um, so, you know, very quickly in my house hunting um, experience, I realized we were spending way too much time looking at photos, jumping to conclusions that really had no real bearing <laughs> in the day, yeah. given the list of our priorities. And so I stopped. I just I I told my husband I was like, we need to just stop looking at the pictures. Like, only look at the facts first. Yeah. And match those facts against you know we had we had to sit down and had you know a heart to heart and a hard look at what were our must have criteria versus nice to have criteria, and and then stick to that list, yes. right? And then pictures was last. <laughs> so. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whatever it is that we're doing, particularly also, you know, screening job candidates, and, and I've done this myself, is you have to be very clear on what those objective criteria are and don't let yourself get swayed by the subjective because then, again, the trap is there to, to think like, oh, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> that, that's the funny thing about being in a position of power, right? You start to... Uh, fool yourself into thinking that you know everything, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that you just know, right? And um, and then you start making all these judgment calls that may or may not be fair or ethical. Mm-hmm. Um, well said. So that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> that's it. You just made me think about something too. I was just looking at Realtor.com the other day. Sorry, Realtor.com. I remember years ago when my wife and I bought our place, 
and you would go into the realtor's office and they'd have the book and there would be one picture usually of the front of the house and then all of those mm-hmm. facts you know how many yes. square feet is the basement finished does it have central air how was the heat distributed what are the size of the bedrooms and do you know that today <laughs> you'll look and you'll see anywhere from 8 to 80 pictures of a house and i last week i looked at 15 houses just last week only one house listed the dimensions of the bedrooms only one so now you get more pictures and less facts well, so the pictures, so the, here's the thing, is because whoever, you know, the, these product managers are that develop these products, they know that pictures hold our attention yep. longer in the app, yep. right? But then we, again, as the end users, we have to protect ourselves from that, yes. right? Like we need to realize, okay, don't fall for that trap because at the end of the day it does not mm-hmm. serve our needs that yep. we were even there for to begin yep. with really really well, and more on that <laughs> later right <laughs> yeah and my, my comment on short stints i just had to throw that in there it's interesting that i just did that short stints i know i have a lot of short stints over the course of my career interestingly there's commingled in the midst of all my short stints are a bunch of longer ones uh, and I try to let people know when it happens for me, this is going to apply to somebody out there. I don't have a problem committing, um, but there are certain things. I, I personally think that people have issues sometimes and don't understand that there's a self-respect factor that comes into play. How do you, ex- how do you express this? It's a challenge. It, it, when somebody asks you about your short stints, number one, there was an old article that I remember reading and, and I continue to study uh, just looking at LinkedIn profiles and it has reconfirmed it. I can't find the article, but a lot of UXers have short shelf lives. So you don't really look at UX profiles and expect to see five and 10 years on a consistent basis. There's a lot of, of one to threes. And, and in some cases they're shorter than that, especially if they're, they're contractors. So there's just, there's just short shelf lives. Companies don't understand UX they don't keep the UXers around sometimes, or they just do the contracts. And the other part that this is going to raise some uh, hair on the back of some people's necks, uh, when you have, why I mentioned self-respect, when you have a proper level of self-respect and companies start to treat you badly because they think that you're going to take it and you stay, there's a price to be paid for that, folks. And, and so I'll, I'll leave it at, at that. From, from my comment on short stints, as a hiring manager, I do exactly what can, what you just mentioned, Karen. I, I want to have a conversation. If the person, number one, is the person qualified? That's what everybody who's looking at a candidate should be doing. Is a person qualified? Number two, are they qualified and do they match what we need? I, I did a talk some time ago called Square Pegs and Round Holes, and it was a UX conference specifically held for hire, for, for recruiters and hiring managers so that they could look at it. And I talked about how that, look at what your team, your teams make up now. And when you're evaluating new people, how will your team look if you bring in person A, B, C, D, or E? That should be part of the evaluation process. Not, oh, they've only been, they were only there for, for a year. Oh, they were at the last three jobs for a year. Are they qualified? Because I got news for you. People who stay at companies a long time, Many times, do so because they're not marketable. 
<laughs> a lot of times it's flipped. The person with the long track record is the person in many instances you don't want to hire. I, I told the story, I think on a recent episode about the person I knew who was at a company for 25 years, but the person was at the company for 25 years and, and they held different positions along those 25 years. The person was at the com- at the company that long because nobody would hire them for anybody else, but also they didn't want to leave. You know why? The person was running a hairdressing business in the bathroom during working hours. Their children were coming in and being paid to clean up the company refrigerator. The janitor didn't do it. Nobody else did it. So she had this running, and there were other things this person was doing. The person stole my code because I was the, the manager of the internet and the internet site for the company. The person stole my code and turned it in to get a, a, a certification for web design. <laughs> so, so the person was getting a lot of perks and they didn't touch the person. Uh, people, uh, somebody remember, this is a Metro Detroit thing. Some years ago, there was a, we had a power outage that lasted throughout the entire city and the suburbs for about a five day period of time. It, it was like, man, it's like taking us back to the 1800s. We didn't have electricity. You couldn't get, you couldn't get the gas station, any gas because you couldn't pump the gas. And, and I got called to work because something happened and said, well, I don't have the gas to get to work. And the, the work to get, to get, or the line, I should say, to get gasoline was almost a mile long. When some, the gas stations that did pump gas, a mile long. So you had to wait for like two, three hours just to get gas. And so long story short, uh, I, they tried to get me to come in. Then I got a call, ironically, right when I got at the front of the line. So I went ahead and got some gas anyway. But they told me I didn't need to come in because they got somebody else to come in. When I made it back to the office, I got chewed out because I didn't come in. They knew that they could, they didn't have any gas. I got chewed out, but you know who didn't get chewed out and who did come in? Little Miss, do whatever she wants at, at work and get away with everything. So it's so, so I'll, I never forgot that. And, and I have met other people just like that, maybe not as bad as this person. People think that, Darren, you made that up. Well, number one, I don't make anything up. That person was literally in the bathroom. Somebody told me. She's in the bathroom with a smock on and everything, a hair dryer doing hair during the work day. <laughs> and nobody said, she's probably doing somebody in HR's hair because HR wouldn't touch her. Like, like does she have something on you folks? Is she blackmailing you? What in the world is going on? So some people don't, they don't leave because they, they're getting, they're getting away with something. Some people leave because you have something that other people want. And I, and again, I come back to this and I'll get off cause I got my soapbox out now is that when, a, when people disrespect you, you have a decision to make. And, and disrespect in the workplace is off the charts. You have narcissists that are bosses. You have abusive people. And, and, it's, and, and it's, it's, people say, well, you can just go to HR and they'll fix it. Yeah, you do that. Good luck with that. That doesn't always work. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give another example of why somebody, particularly in UX, might have a short stint. Right. And I, and I know this from having worked with founders who flat out told me, hey, we're going to let this UX designer go because we hired them and we're not seeing any improvement to the product. Right. So 
in this, I, I write about this um, in that Medium article uh, that I wrote about a year ago around UX erasure. And, but that the problem is the founders or the people who hire their first UX designer or whoever is doing the hiring, they don't understand that you don't just hire somebody and then give them no support, resources, nothing, yeah. and then expect magic to happen, expect your product to suddenly, you know, blow up and, yeah. and be off the charts, right? Like, so it, that could very well be another reason, right? And and so I think, I think the takeaway here in these examples is we should also be looking at why somebody's out of place for a really long time. Yes. <laughs> That's not... That's also not necessarily an indication mm-hmm. in a positive sense, yep. right? So in, in, in either case, find out why people have chosen to stay or to go for whatever duration of period of time it is. And you'll learn way more than just jumping to your own conclusions about that candidate. Yes. And I think it's extremely critical to do that when I think we all I've been guilty of this before. I'm pretty sure everybody has. When you hear certain brand names, the rose colored glasses go on. And oh, it's Facebook for me. Don't, the, get, don't get me started. <laughs> the first one for me was IBM. I was working for a large digital agency and IBM came to poach me. And I was thinking, man, well, yeah, it's time for me to go do something else, maybe. But. But I mean, I love being here. I love being at this company. But man, when IBM comes calling, you just respond. And they were going to counter. And I was always taught never to, uh, there's a lot of, we won't talk about this, but I'm going to say what I'm going to say about this, that I was always taught that when when somebody counters, don't accept it. Uh, and so I remembered that. And I, I learned that back in my HR days. And and so I said, well, I can't, I can't accept the counter. And they said, Why? And we said, in unison, we said at the same time, we were harmonizing, because it's IBM. And we started laughing, and I said, okay, Dan, we wish you the best. And I went to IBM, and two weeks later, I was like, why did I do this? The, there was no UX material level. My division did not know what I, what UX was. Um, there were a bunch of posers, retrofits, and upstarts on my team. A bunch of my ideas were being stolen left and right. And so here we are in this bad situation because I was starstruck by a brand. So people today, they see Google, they're starstruck. They see Meta, they see Facebook, they're starstruck. They, they, you know, they see Amazon, they're starstruck. Just because there's a big name doesn't mean that they know what they're doing, <laughs> especially at the bigger companies because there are so many pockets of operation at different, at bigger companies that certain pockets of Microsoft, certain pockets are good with UX. Certain ones are not. And you have no idea. You And, and some people don't want to ask tough questions during the interview process to get answers like what you were just saying, Karen. They don't want to ask. Uh, I, I told somebody once, yeah, when you interview, ask them to tell you uh, a couple of reasons why you don't want to work there. And somebody said, I can't ask that. Well, the only reason you can't ask that is because you just told yourself you can't ask that. You can ask anything you want, <laughs> so but ask it. And, and not because I'm not so much looking for the answer when I present that question. I want to look to see how they handle themselves. I've been counseling people for 30 years. I got a lot of people experience. I can read you like a book. So I'm going to ask that question to sit back and watch the fireworks because if you start squirming or twiddling your thumbs, 
uh, or even perspiring, there's an issue. And I don't really care about the answer as much as I see you worrying. And that that worrying, that body language, which a lot of us in UX are familiar with because we learn how to do that during research. We learn how to read body language, use it during the interview. And and you'll find that, yeah, you'll, you'll find out, yeah, I don't care how much they're paying me. I might not want to go there. <laughs> it might not be a good idea. So be willing to ask the tough questions. But no, we should not be afraid of short stints. And if you're a hiring manager, don't be afraid of short stints. If you're a person looking for a job, you're not a manager. I personally, if I got to move, I got to move. And, and I just got to do what I got to do. I, I got, I'm the head of my household. I got to take care of my family. I got, I got a mortgage. I got things I got to do. Uh, and these people are trying to kill me. So <laughs> figuratively speaking, and when that happens, Hey, I got too much self-respect. I can't, I can't, you know, you can look at me cross. I, I asked, actually, I throw this in here. I actually asked somebody about this recently and I appreciate the advice the person gave me uh, recently or having a conversation uh, about things like this. And the person said, you know, when you work with a narcissist or you're dealing with certain things at work, you can't just run and go to another company. I said, well, that's not what I've done over the course of my career. I wasn't trying to get away from the narcissist, but long story short, again, I appreciate everything the person said, but there was a couple things that I also recognized that were missing. And, and the biggest one was, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. A lot of us are prisoners of what other people think. And, and I got to encourage people, please don't, don't do that to yourself. That if, if I, if I get short steps, they're going to think, they're going to think what? And what does that change? <laughs> are you, go back to those same questions. Are you qualified? Do you match what the job is looking for? You can have a conversation. Hopefully good companies will talk to you. And that's what I found Karen. Good companies, they'll, they may ask you about the short stints, but they're not threatened by it. That tells me that they have some confidence. That's a company that I want to, that I want to talk to further. The ones that are flat out scared, a lot of them are scared because they're telling you that they can't handle it. Because a bunch of other people walk out of there and they don't want you to be another another one of them. But and if they if they do, if they don't, you know, they don't. Such is life. Okay, there's fifty thousand other companies you can talk to. Oh, that's my eight cents on that. Hey folks, Karen and I had an absolute ball in that conversation, but it we really got into it and it's really long. So I decided to split it into two parts. We'll air part two next week, but that is all the time we have for today. So thanks for taking the time to listen to the World of UX podcast and join us next week to hear the end of this tremendously energetic and insightful conversation. So until then, this is Darren Hood, the host of the World of UX signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.